Alright, Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, one of the great chapters in the Bible for a New Testament Pauline church age saint is Romans chapter 8. You can't beat it. I remember a preacher saying one time if the Bible was a ring, Romans chapter 8 would be the diamond in the thing. It is just wonderful. There's no way to talk about everything in Romans chapter 8 in one message, and we're not even going to try it. We're just going to look at a few verses toward the end of it. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also does <coughs> our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I can't tell you the comfort I have received from that verse for years and years because there are so many things in my life as I've come to, I didn't know I didn't know what needed to happen. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I didn't even specifically know what to pray for that would be exactly God's will. I knew probably many times what to pray for that I would have liked the most, but exactly which one was really God's will and which one would turn out best in the end, I didn't know. And that has always comforted me to know that the Lord Jesus Christ is up there making intercession for me and the Holy Spirit is up there making intercession for me. And if I'm doing my best and just praying, Lord, thy will be done and giving my best with the, with the amount of information I have to ask for life, there's some other people praying for me no better than I do. I love that verse. One of my absolute favorite verses. Verse 27 goes on to say, And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You're afraid you don't know God's will, don't know specifically what to pray for? He does. He does. And he's praying. You know what you want to do? You want to stay in fellowship with him. If it pleases your flesh, that goes against what the Spirit wants. So, minor on the stuff that pleases your flesh. If it pleases this world, if it's the cool, popular thing that everybody's doing right now, it goes against the Spirit. So minor on doing things like the people of your day. This present evil world is what will get you. And of course, we've preached about these things many times. But the reason you do that is not because you just want to be stern and austere and always tell the flesh no. It's because there's blessing that comes from the Spirit when you do it that way. If you do it for that motive. The reason you do that is not so you're just weird and look strange to everybody out there these days. No, it's because there's blessing that comes from the Spirit. If you're doing it just to be mean and austere to the flesh, I admit it doesn't have any effect. You're right. If you're doing it just to be weird, it doesn't have any effect. If you're doing it to please God, oh man. Then the Spirit comes in and blesses it. And I think we've already seen a little bit of that in the music service just tonight. I think there's some people don't care if they don't please the flesh and don't please the world and just trying to do things God's way. And I think that's why the Spirit came in here and blessed us already. All right, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know, oh boy, here's one that you get a lot of comfort from. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Predestination is a Bible doctrine. Amen. It says the word predestinate right here. 
but it is predestination based on the foreknowledge of God, okay. whom he did foreknow. You know, he, you know who he knew ahead of time? The ones that were in Christ. Amen. God is not bound by time. He is able to look from eternity and see who is in Christ in eternity. And so he foreknew them. And so he could predestinate them. He did not like drawing them out of a hat unconditionally elect some and not others. No. He predestinated the ones he foresaw in Jesus Christ. You know when you get saved? When you get in Jesus Christ. That is where to be. Anywhere else, you don't want to be. Whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Conform to the image of his son. Now that's getting real close to what we're preaching on tonight. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say? What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely Give us all things. What blessed promise. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Blessed truth that the Holy Spirit of God and the Son of God are up there making intercession for me right now. Amen. You're talking about somebody who needs him. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature. That's about everything you can come up with. <laughs> what in the world could you come up with that wasn't in that list? Shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Get in Jesus Christ. You are home safe then. So I'm going to preach tonight, spitting in. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to preach your word, and I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to understand some of these great truths, unspeakable truths, unfathomable truths of the blessing that comes to us through the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord. And I pray that we would be worthy examples of him. I, I certainly know that we're not perfect examples of him, but dear God, I pray for the rest of our lives we'd be dedicated to be in the spirit and image of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, now, God's will is for every believer to have his spirit and image. Uh, now, image means the picture of something, the shape of something, a statue of something, or a sculpture of something, or a likeness of something. Now, down south, we say somebody who looks very similar to someone else, we'll say that's his spitting image. And I never really understood that. And one day I came across a book called How to Speak Southern. 
And it said that that phrase, spitting image, is a mispronunciation of what the old timers used to say, where they would say, He is the spirit and image of his death. And then we just got thinking, the spitting image. He's the spitting image. I don't know if that's true. I wasn't alive back then. <laughs> but if that is true, if you're a born again child of God, you should be his spitting image in that you should have his spirit and you should be conformed to his likeness. Verse 29 says, Whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. And we already have his spirit in us when we get saved. You want your goal all to be? I'm going to be the spirit and image of Jesus Christ. I'm going to be like him on the inside and on the outside. We're, we're, we're created in the image of God, are we not? All right, now, of course, we won't be like him on earth nearly as much as when we get to heaven. But we should increasingly resemble him. I'm speaking to people who've been saved a long time in this room. Do you increasingly resemble him? Now, Brother Ron has often made the statement that the worst thing about getting old is regrets. The truth of the matter is, when you first get saved, you're just, you still got a long way to go, and having his spirit image. And you can look back and beat yourself up if you want to, but it's just not realistic to think that a baby Christian is going to be fully in the spirit image of Jesus Christ. In fact, anybody down here on this earth is not going to be there. But hopefully you are growing toward it. Think of the Apostle Paul. Think if he would have sat and beat himself up all the time about all the things he had done before he was saved. It was wrong. Think if he would have beat himself up all the time about some of the mistakes he made while in ministry, don't get me wrong. He is our pattern, the Bible says. He is a pattern to those that should after uh, live uh, as far as save people in the church, but he wasn't perfect. Some of the brethren had to correct him on some things, and he wanted some things, and they wouldn't do it. And They warned him, you know, that, oh, boy, if you go to Jerusalem, you know, you've been warned of the Spirit. Don't go down there. And he went anyway. You know, he lost some ministry. He made some mistakes. Listen, you'll make some mistakes. You'll make some mistakes in your Christian life. You'll make some mistakes with church people. You'll make some mistakes in your marriage. You'll make some mistakes with your children. You'll make some mistakes on the workplace. You'll make some mistakes in the neighborhood. Sure, I wish we were all perfect, but you're not going to be. But I tell you, a goal you should have is to be a little better today than yesterday. And after that, after that. And you should be growing, and you should be increasingly bearing the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you should be increasingly giving his spirit control of your body. That's what we refer to when we talk about the filling of the spirit. Um, Henry doesn't look as much like Dustin right now as he's going to. As he gets older, he's going to resemble Dustin even more. He's just too little to look just like Dustin right now. That wouldn't be realistic for us to expect him to be everything Dustin is and know everything Dustin knows right now. And so don't beat yourself up that you aren't exactly where you need to be yet, but be growing. Amen. Don't make excuses. Don't let your imperfection be an excuse to not be growing and improving. So I want to look at several advantages of us getting to bear God's image. We get his spirit, and Jesus is the image that God the Father, through his foreknowledge, has predestined us to be conformed to. Let's look at some of the advantages of that. First of all, it has a great promise. It makes a great promise. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, here's this great promise. 
And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Wow, is that not a good promise? When you have a heartbreak, when you suffer a loss, when you have a failure, when you sin, when you make a mistake, God has promised he's going to take all things and make them work together for good. Wow, what a wonderful promise. How in the world could that possibly be? How could my mistakes and sins and failures work together for good? Now, I didn't say your mistake or sin or failure is good. I'm not saying that. But it will work together along with everything else for good. In the big picture, so to speak. Daniel 4.32, uh, here's why. Because God is omnipotent and he can just include the ingredients he wants to and work them all together for his purpose in the end. Daniel 4.32, uh, he had to convince a great king of this one time, Nebuchadnezzar. He said, and they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The Lord got tired of Nebuchadnezzar's pride. He said, is not this my great Babylon that I have built? Lord, that I tell you what, I'm going to turn you into an animal, and I'm going to leave you there a while until you learn I'm the one in charge. Amen. And when he came out of that, let me tell you what Nebuchadnezzar was ready to do. Give God the glory. Yeah. He wrote what I think is the first gospel track in history <laughs> and distributed it all over the kingdom and said, let me tell you what God did to me in the things recorded there in the book of Daniel. And if you hadn't read it in a while, you ought to. Amen. That's good. God wants everybody to know he is the one in charge. He is omnipotent. I know what you're thinking, especially if you're all pessimistic like I tend to be and certainly used to be. You're thinking, no, I'm bad. I messed up. I deserve to get all beat up. You know? <laughs> Just get out the club now. God is right. God is right to beat me to death. I fully deserve it. Well, yeah, I guess, I guess there's some truth to that. But he's chosen to take everything and make it all work together for good. Even your mistakes. I don't encourage you to make mistakes because there will be some suffering to go along with it. But it ain't going to hurt God or his cause. And if you're saved and trust in the Lord Jesus as your Savior, it's still going to work out for your good. And that's the promise of Romans chapter 8. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus reminded us of it when he said, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. He's, he's omnipotent. Luke chapter 4, the devil reminds us that he takes some of his power here on, here on earth. When he was tempting the Lord Jesus, he said, All this power will I give thee in the glory of them. For that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. And Jesus didn't correct him. But ultimately, God's the one in charge. You know why Satan has what temporary power he has? Why he's called the God of this world in 2 Corinthians 4 4? Because the Lord allowed it. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But the fact that um, this promise can be made is because of God's omnipotence. There's no other explanation for it. Let me read to you from the next book over here, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 24, Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdoms of God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, 
For he hath put all things under his feet, but when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. God can make this promise because he's all-powerful. He's omnipotent. He can do it. Hey, another reason is because he desires our good. Romans uh, 8.32 here in the passage that we just read says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You need something, and God chooses not to give it to, to you? It must not really be for your good. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense that he gave the Lord Jesus Christ for you. If he was going to hold something back that was good for you, surely he would have held back Jesus. That's the one who he loved the most. That's the one who was holy and righteous. That's the one that's the crown jewel of the whole universe. When sometimes when we're talking about everything, we say the whole wide world. Jesus is way bigger than that. He is the crown jewel of the whole universe. Surely, if he was going to hold something back, he would have held that back. But he gave him for you. That tells me he ain't worried about the 50 cent you're looking for, comparatively speaking. He is not going to hold something back from you that's really for your good if he didn't even hold Jesus back. He wants your good. Hebrews chapter 12, speaking of our fathers, and, and they love us, our, our parents do. For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Even when he punishes you, even when he gives you a spiritual spanking, he does it for your good, for your profit. Amen. He makes a promise because of God's omnipotence and because he desires your good. You know why Joseph went through the trials that he went through, and you got to admit poor Joseph went through false accusations and people forgetting him going to jail and having to work his way up being forsaken by his own brothers he went through it but you know what God meant it for good and Joseph ended up highly exalted did he not yes. how about Daniel thrown in a lion's den man God meant it for good highly exalted how about the three Hebrew children thrown in a fiery furnace is that a good thing <laughs> horrible but the Son of God was in there, and then they come out of there, and they were highly exalted. How about Job? What about the horrible things he went through when he is the most righteous man you probably ever find? What happened? The Lord blessed the end of Job even more than his beginning. <coughs> even the horrible things you go through, and I hate to tell you, I'm just going to be honest with you, you are going to go through some heartbreaking disappointments. I'd be lying if I told you any different. But remember when you're going through them, God means this for my good. And even when he uses the devil to do it, and he sure does, remember how he let the devil pair poor old Job up? The devil has to get permission. Remember all those talks? We won't turn back to Job and go through them again, but... When the devil would appeal to the Lord, the Lord would say, okay, but don't touch him. Okay, you can touch him, but don't take his life. The Lord had to give him permission to do every one of them, and then made them all turn out for Job's good anyway. Amen. Amen. Now remember that. It makes a great promise. 
that we can be in the spirit and image of Jesus Christ. All right, I'll give you another thing. It gives us a purpose. Romans chapter 8, look at verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Your purpose needs to be God's purpose. You need to be in Jesus Christ's fitting image for his purposes, and they won't always be yours. You may not always get the job you're wanting, and you may not have the health you're wanting, and you may not get the money you're wanting, or five other things that you may be wanting. But that needs to be okay with you as long as it fulfills God's purpose. You know what Jesus said? Not my will, but thine be done. If you have the spirit and image of Jesus Christ, that's enough. It is enough for the servant that he be as his master. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. The great, famous preacher, as good as any in history, in my opinion, George Whitfield, last words were, I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. And then he kind of came to a minute again, a minute later, and again said, satisfied. And then came back, to another minute or two later and said, satisfied. You know what you'll say when you realize that you're a perfect likeness of Jesus Christ? Satisfied! Amen. That's what you'll be. And your purpose should be His purpose. It is an eternal <coughs> purpose. It's not, you know, did you get your 50 cent an hour raise? Although those are nice to get. Man, one time I... Uh, Somebody wanted me to work over in a different department when I was a young man, and they gave me a 50 cent hour raise uh, to go over there. And then another manager said, No, you ain't taking him from me. He said, Well, I already gave him a 50 cent raise. He wanted it. He said, All right, well, I'm giving him a 50 cent more raise and come back. And worked it out with the boss, and I had to go. And so in one day, argument between two managers, I had a dollar an hour raise. That's big money to me working my way through Bible school and didn't have no. Boy, you think I wasn't walking on cloud night? This was back when a dollar, you know, bought at least a chocolate bar. <laughs> I mean, boy, I was happy, man. Here I went into work making something, and by the time I left that day, I was making a dollar an hour more when, when that made a difference. That's a wonderful thing. But as much as I like that, eternal things are way more important. Spiritual things are way more important. Ephesians chapter 3, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Remember, your purpose is eternal. It's a lot bigger than just what's going on right now. Live your life for things eternal. Hold to God's unchanging hand. One reason I emphasize Baptist history is I want to show the permanence of what we're doing here. Amen. One reason I emphasize this King James Bible, I want to emphasize the permanence. But this thing's been just just this translation has been around for hundreds of years. We're not doing something new. We haven't come up with a new plan. You know, we're we're doing what God started quite some time ago, and it's going to go for all of the eternity. So when you're looking for your purpose, remember yours is an eternal purpose. Remember that it is in Christ Jesus, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. If anything else is your main subject, then Jesus Christ 
you're off course. I determined, Paul said, not to know anything among you but Christ Jesus and him crucified. It is in Christ Jesus, 2 Timothy 1.9, who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. God had all this plan before he created this world and already through his foreknowledge saw, and you and I were a part of it. Amen. Is that not a blessing? This isn't, we're, we're not a Johnny-come-lately. We were planned before the world began to be doing it. It is in Christ Jesus, and it is his own purpose. Ephesians 1, 9, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. Then 11 says, in whom we also in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. This gives us a purpose when we're in the likeness of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you another great thing about it. It provides us a pattern. When uh, a lady is sewing, you know what helps her? If she has a pattern to follow. I admire the ones that can just do it with a picture in their mind. But boy, it sure helps if you've got a pattern. You've got somebody to look to to see how to do things. In verse 29, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Our pattern, of course, mainly, is the Lord Jesus Christ. John 15, 20, he said he would be. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. When Jesus was getting the disciples ready for his departure, you know what he said? Now the way everybody's been listening to me, that's about the way they're going to listen to you. <laughs> You'll have times where they'll listen and you have times where they will reject you. Get ready. Go ahead and plan. He is our pattern. What does uh, the Lord Jesus Christ remind you of? Well, several things, but one would be obedience. Did not he do exactly what the Father always said? Did he not say, I do always those things that please me? The next one is humility. Nobody ever humbled themselves like Jesus Christ. Dr. Ruckman used to preach to us often, the thing missing in Jesus' life is pride. There is an absolute absence of pride, especially considering from how high he came. Amen. It is remarkable the lack of pride that he has. If you know somebody that's very wealthy, oftentimes you pick up an air about them. If you know somebody that is highly educated, oftentimes you pick up an air from them. If you know somebody that is highly respected, such as a military officer, there is an air about them. Jesus, in spite of who he was, higher than any rich man, any educated man, any exalted man of any position that has ever been, he is unfathomably higher than any of them, and yet he was lowly and came right down and washed people's feet. You want a pattern? Jesus Christ in obedience and humility for sure. But he's also a pattern in projection. 
He'll show you how to be a winner, but he'll also show you how to be a good loser. I mean, he was rejected when he got down here. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from it. My goodness. There are going to be times in your life that you go through rejection, sorrow, disappointment, failure, mistakes, sin, sins. You know what? You can look to him and see how he took it. Now, he didn't sin, but he became sin for us. How did he take it when the sin was dumped on him? Well, if he can do that good with other people's sins, surely you and I can take some punishment for our own sins. <laughs> Rejection, despising. It hurts us sometimes when we're despised, when we're resented. Think about how it hurt Jesus. We deserve at least some of it. Amen. Even if we don't deserve all of it, we deserve some of it, don't we? Amen. Jesus didn't deserve any of it, and he took it. He is our pattern in obedience and humility. He is also our pattern in rejection and in despising. But we have another uh, pattern in the New Testament. 1 Timothy 1.16, the Apostle Paul says this about himself under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. So the Apostle Paul is called our pattern in the Scripture. So Jesus is our number one main pattern, but the Apostle Paul in the specifics of the church age is. What was he a good pattern in? Well, one I'll tell you is repentance. You talk about a repentance. I mean, he went from terrible persecution and terrorizing of Christians to all of a sudden being the leader of the Christians. You couldn't find a better example of repentance than the Apostle Paul. You couldn't find a complete opposite viewpoint of a sudden turnaround like the Apostle Paul did. Also faith. He was saved by faith. He believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and then he lived his life by faith. Furthermore, long-suffering. The verse that I just read said, in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe. Now, I've often made jokes about that. And I will admit, long-suffering is my least favorite part of the Christian life. I've been through some sorrowful things. And if they would have ended in five minutes, I, I'd have been okay. <laughs> if they'd ended in five days, I'd have been okay. If they'd ended in five weeks, I could have borne it. The problem is when they start going in months and in years and in decades. You know what Paul was? He is our pattern for long suffering. You know what he did? He just kept doing right and serving God anyway. Some of it was because of stuff he didn't deserve. Some of it was because of stuff he did deserve. He didn't care. He just did it. We sing that song sometimes uh, through praise or blame. <laughs> Through blood or flame, my heavenly Father watches over me, and if my heavenly Father is watching over me, I can keep doing right. Some of it, I am to blame for. Some of it, I'm not. I don't care. My job stays the same. It's to just keep doing right and keep serving. Our pattern is the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's the Apostle Paul, 
in repentance and faith and long-suffering, and here's a good one, contentment. Did Paul not say, I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content? Amen. When you get a steak, enjoy it. When you get a bologna sandwich, love it. Amen. When you get sardines with mustard on crackers, learn to like it. <laughs> <laughs> I had sardines last night. First time in a long time. I doctored them up, and they were palatable. But they're, they're not my first choice. <laughs> you know what Paul learned? Whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Don't sit and worry. Every single meal is exactly what you want right now. Just eat it and move on. Bob Jones Sr. said, if you remember what you had for supper last night, you don't have enough on your mind. <laughs> Boy, there are a lot of fat American Baptists can tell you every meal they're having, they had last night, and they can tell you every, or yesterday, and they can tell you every meal they're having tomorrow. That's, that's what's on their mind. God help us to be content. The Lord's taking care of us, especially here in America. My word, why would people in America not be content? <clears throat> All right, another thing about having the spirit image of Jesus Christ. It promotes purity. Romans chapter 8, look at verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. It promotes purity. Purity in your standing. When you're justified, when God Almighty says you're justified, you're just. He's the judge. He's the only one that matters. Amen. What if uh, a judge condemns you, but then God Almighty says, no, he's just. Well, that judge just has to slink away in shame. And if not right now, certainly in all of eternity he will. The pure. Ephesians 5.27, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Being in the spirit and image of Jesus Christ means you're headed for a time where you'll be without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but holy and without blemish. Here's a good one. It promotes purity in potential. In potential. Not just in your standing. Titus 2.14 says, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. You got a ministry you're doing around here? We got some things going on. We try to put out the John and Romans three or four times a year. We go to the mission. Uh, you've got people you witness to at work. We got missionaries that you can support. We got meetings you can come out and support. We got gospel tracts in the rack. I try to do a good job of keeping those filled and stamped. And you take those and give those out. What's your ministry? I'm, I'm not saying you have to do all of them. No way. I know you're busy. You got family to take care of. You got bills to pay. You got stuff to fix. You can do one, or maybe two. Which one or two are you? Get something. Get something. You know what? That is God's purpose. You're in His spirit and image just for that. We got stuff going out on the radio. We got stuff going out on the internet. Think of another way to get it out. Think of. We got people preaching at the uh, nursing home. Think of something. Think of something you can support. Think of something you can do. Think of a way you can get the gospel out. Think of something you can do that would get us in a, another place to preach the gospel. 
We'll take it. Love it. Find something. Find something and do it for the Lord. Why? Because Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. What? Zealous of good works. You've got the potential with the spirit and likeness of Jesus Christ, spirit and image of Jesus Christ, to go out there and do some good works. Do them. Not all of them. Get you one or two and do them and do them faithful. All right, another thing about being in the spirit and image of Jesus Christ, it garners praise. It not only says, uh, whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. There's <coughs> praise, there's glory that comes in serving the Lord Jesus. There's joy that comes in it. It ought to make you feel, listen, you start living for the Lord when you've been away from him, and you'll start feeling something on the inside. That's the Holy Spirit, and that's God putting some glory on you, but you'll look around and you'll perceive that the hand of God and the blessing of God is on you, and that'll go further than any accolade and recognition this world can ever give you. Any promotion you'll ever get at work, when you realize the hand of God is on you, you're on a different level. Oh, yeah. You'll live with more joy, and you'll have a better presence, and you'll have a better spirit. There's nothing that compares. There's nothing that compares. Think of the of the team that just won the Super Bowl and how excited they were and the pretty stuff was you know showering down and they were interviewing them and they were all getting a big bunch of money and they got the pretty trophy and all that sort of thing. Now compare that with God Almighty putting his blessing on you. When you see God Almighty recognizing you at the judgment seat of Christ and doing just a little bit of something for him, good night. A Super Bowl trophy won't mean anything to you. A heavyweight title belt. Hey. Child's play. Right. What do they call it in hockey? The Stanley Cup? Who cares about that? When God Almighty says, well done, thou good and faithful servant, and gives you a crown of righteousness, there is nothing to compare to it. No wonder he says, whom he justified, then he also glorified. You've got the potential to do that. Quit worrying about the things that's tying up so much of your time. And for goodness sake, don't go in debt. Where you'll be so busy working, 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 trying to pay a bunch of debts back. Keep your schedule and your money free to serve God where the blessings come. Garner's praise by living in Christ Jesus. Colossians 1.27 To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus Christ in you, and you're looking for something better than that? You are wasting your time. You've already got the greatest thing there could ever be in the history or eternity of the universe. If you've got Jesus Christ in you, start concentrating on that. I'm preaching as much to myself as I am anybody else. Boy, can't you just get sidetracked with the menial tasks of the day and forget about spending time with the Lord Jesus? That's where the power comes to take care of every problem you've got anyway. By Christ living in us and at the judgment seat of Christ. Romans 8, 17. I've already said a few things about this, so I won't say much about it. But it says in Romans 8, 17, If children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. 
It's fine to suffer with him. Don't even worry about suffering with him. Because you'll be glorified with him. It's way, way more than worth whatever suffering you go through. This You talk about a light affliction that is but for a moment. Worketh for us a far more exceeding weight of glory. Verse 18, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 refers to these things as well. Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he has built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. You know what? Your, your work doesn't have to be the biggest or the prettiest. It just has to abide the fire. Is it done for Jesus Christ? You know what will be the testing there? Not how much it was, not what quantity it is, but what quality it is. <laughs> what sort it is. If you've only done a little bit of work, but it was truly 100% for Jesus Christ, and not for yourself, and not for your money, and not for pride, and not for recognition, you might only get a little bit, but it'll endure the fire. And when you get something, even a little bit, that was done for Jesus Christ and comes through God's fire of testing, that's a diamond. You know what? A little diamond is still real valuable, isn't it? Oh, yeah. If one of y'all had a, a diamond and you lost it, would you say, oh, well, that's okay. It was a little anyway. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. Even a little diamond is very valuable. When I've heard stories about diamonds, big, expensive diamonds, and I see a documentary on them or something, I see a picture of them, you know, like that famous Hope Diamond. I was always disappointed how small the things were. You know, I thought after all the after all the stuff you hear about them, they're small. But you know what? It was still very valuable. The work that's done for Jesus Christ. Just one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. It garners praise at the judgment seat of Christ. All right, last thing. It is based on a prerogative. You have a choice. You have been given the Spirit of Christ when you got saved, and on top of that, you can continually conform yourself to His image. Now, God has predestined you to be conformed to His image. Eventually, it's going to happen. But you can be doing some things down here and go ahead and start conforming to that image now and earn some reward. There's some of this that's your prerogative. It's up to you. Now, salvation is limited in its prerogative. You can choose whether or not to receive or accept, but that's the end of your prerogative, salvation. You didn't do it. You didn't think it up. You can't work for it. All you can do is take it or leave it. <laughs> that is the end of your prerogative in salvation. But your prerogative in being in the likeness of Jesus Christ there's any number of ways you might do that. You might do that by being a loving spouse. You might do that by being a loving um, father or mother. You might do that by being a great neighbor. You might do that by ministering to the poor. You might, be do, you might do that by witnessing to successful business people. I, I can't think of all the ways you can do it. This is up to you. You have a lot of prerogative. You have a lot of freedom. You take what the Lord has laid on your heart and you start doing it. 
And if he shuts the door going one place, just go somewhere else. You remember when the Holy Spirit wouldn't let them go one way and they went another way? Amen. It works! You just start serving the Lord and you being in the way the Lord will lead you. It's based on a prerogative. Now, you're not going to do it perfectly. You're, you and I are we're just fallen, sinful people. We're going to make some mistakes in it. We're going to and I'm sorry to tell you, there's even going to be some of your own sin mixed in with your ministry. You're trying to serve God, and some of your own mistakes and sins are going to mix in. Do it anyway. The Lord didn't say, I'll, I'm using perfect people only. <laughs> if he did, he wouldn't have any helpers, would he? You get in there and do your best. Now, you grow. When you do make some mistakes and sins in it, you grow past that and don't keep doing the same ones over and over, amen. But be okay with the fact that you're not perfect. It is not perfection. It is not salvation. You did get saved, and that's why we're talking about this. But salvation, you're only prerogative to take it or leave it. This has a number of different ways you can go. So what is it? Well, here's what it is. Love God. When you love God, you're going to want to do something for Him. Amen. When young people give them a little sweetheart, they like to think of something to buy them on their birthday or on Christmas or on Valentine's Day or something. They want to show that love. And when you love God Almighty, you're going to want to do something for Him. In our loss of Mama, here in recent weeks, there have been a lot of people that showed a lot of love to me. I, I wish I could do something. Some friends of mine that have lost some loved ones recently. I saw what they're going through and I saw how their heart's breaking. I saw how their family is grieving and I just wish there's something I could do for them. I'll tell you something. If you love God, there's going to be some things you wish you could do for them. You're going to be looking for something and you're going to find one. How do we do it? Well, first of all, by considering His love. We love Him because He first loved us. You want to do something out of love for God? Start thinking about how He loves you. Number two, obey John 14. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Who? He that hath my commandments and keepeth them. There's your rules. He it is that loveth me. There's your relationship. And then the relationship gets better. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father. And it gets better. And I will love him. And it gets better. And will manifest myself to him. That relationship just keeps getting better and better and better and better the further it goes. And you know how it starts? You have his commandments and keep them. Not to get saved. I'm not going to save people tonight. But once you get saved, you start doing everything you can to obey him and be a loyal, sweet child of God. By considering his love and by obeying him. 1 John 5, 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. There's the relationship, loving the children of God and loving God, and there's the rules, keeping his commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments, Jesus says. All right, so first of all, consider how he loved you. Nothing shows that better than Calvary. Secondly, keep his commandments. Be obedient to him. 
Third, love his children. First John 4, if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? You know what John teaches us? If he doesn't teach us anything else, love God and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, number one, and love people second. And if we could get that, boy, how it would change our lives. Mm -hmm. You know what Jesus said when they asked him, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength, and the second is like unto it. Love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. If you want to fix one thing to fix everything about your life, love God more and love people more. Amen. That's John. That's Jesus. And there's plenty of Bible-believing Baptists. And I'm ashamed to say I've been part of them sometimes. Don't do those two like we need to. Amen. All right, now what do we see today? We saw the advantages of being the spitting image of Jesus Christ, bearing God's image, being in his spirit and image. Thank God one day in heaven we'll surely be just like him, and we'll sure be satisfied then. Not one, he said, I will be satisfied when I wake with thy likeness. He does not say, I'll be satisfied when I see a city where a street is made of gold. He does not say, I'll be satisfied when I see a gate made of pearls. He does not say, I'll be satisfied when I see my big, huge, beautiful mansion. He says, I'll be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. All these external things that we're so bad to live for in our capitalist, free country, and God knows I love it, but the things that we get our eyes on do not bring satisfaction. Being in the image of Jesus Christ will satisfy you like nothing the world, the flesh, or the devil has ever offered you. Amen. One of these days we'll be in heaven, and we will be completely satisfied. But in the meantime, we can bear his image a little bit more each day, if you will, by association, by being associated with him. That is, we can love him, emulate him, stay close to him, speak of him so much that when people see us, they think of Jesus. Have you ever known somebody that drove a certain vehicle and every time you see that vehicle you think of them? I want to know this. When somebody looks at you, do they think of Jesus? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this chance to look into the great blessings of Romans chapter 8 